It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And uh, guys, welcome. Uh, Jonathan, I know you are uh, you're about ready to do a little Passover prep. Yeah, this is uh, this will be uh, my last leavened podcast for a week at least. So, um, I, for those who don't know what that means, you can look it up. Matzah only after today for a week. So, uh, let's let's jump right into one of the uh, what I think is one of the more uh, one of the funner things that we've done in a while. We kind of jumped in on the. Uh, quiz craze that's going on uh, on our site right now. We've started putting up a lot of quizzes and uh, we thought that we should get involved too. Our first one, we put a quiz out there challenging people to identify the player or players uh, who have ranked highest as prospects for each organization since we started ranking prospects um, in 2004. So, um, you guys both took, I know we all took the quiz. How'd you guys do? Well, I got 21, but what was interesting to me was I thought I was going to do terrible because I felt like I, you know, it's been about a week since I took it. I took it in the, in the beta phase that I felt like I went about one for five and halfway through, I felt like I had, I don't know, maybe eight out of 15. I'm like, man, I'm just terrible at this. And did, did you guys find, I don't know why it would be, but like it felt like the second half was so much easier than the first. I don't know if there were more guys who ranked as number one overall prospects in baseball and they just were more obvious, but I, I felt like I got, you know, 13 or 14 in the last 15 right after a, what, what felt like a dreadful start to it. So Jim, I will, I will tell you that we got uh, quite a bit of feedback on Twitter from people saying exactly that. Got off to a rough start, but rallied at the end. And we'll, I'll get into some of the specific numbers in, in a little bit after uh, Jonathan talks about how he did a little bit. But uh, there is something to that, uh, what you're talking about uh, with, the, with it being tougher at the beginning. And I'll, I'll delve into that in a minute. And maybe there were more obvious ones. I didn't track how I was doing as I went. I, uh, you know, I got 20 out of 30, which is a little embarrassing since I've been here for all of our lists. But I also will, you know, claim that I just don't have institutional memory to remember uh, all of all of them. Um, but it was it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I was a little disappointed. I kind of thought oh, I'm like, I'm going to breeze through this. Um, but I did not remember, especially some of the ones from the early days, uh, which were one long ago and two, like, I feel like our, the process we have now is so much more thorough than Back to those first couple of years when it was really just me uh, and I was talking to scouts, but I didn't know as many people as I did. And I didn't have a whole team of people to run things by. So uh, I said a couple of the sort of ones I'm like, oof, you know, like I wonder if those rankings would have been different. But uh, it was a fun it was a fun if a bit uh, humbling exercise. Oh, and Jonathan, I mean, didn't you for a couple of years? I mean, you, I, I think wasn't the list and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I thought I remember, weren't you even doing it as like, like an industry survey where you had yes. people yeah, vote. I so I, I, I don't think you need to be hard on yourself. Uh, I mean, although I, I look back and we were doing lists of baseball America and I cannot, <laughs> I don't, I will never know the answer to this. So I, it continues to bother me every time I think of it, but we, did not rank Justin Verlander on our top 100 the year after he, I mean, before he made his debut, but when he was the number two pick in the draft, we didn't rank Justin Verlander on our top 100. And I've even tried to go back and look at my notes. I have no idea why that would have been. And, and I don't think it was just like we forgot about him because he didn't debut and he signed in October because he was on our Tigers list. But I, I think it's always easy to look back and beat yourself up a little bit. And 
uh, on those types of things. So, but if it's, uh, do not, do not well, pick yourself up. Well, this will make you guys feel a little bit better as well. I mean, you are, you are, uh, industry gurus, but, uh, you scored 20 and 21, the average score, uh, from tens of thousands of, of quiz takers, um, 60.4% of those who took the quiz, uh, fell somewhere in the range of getting 10 to 14. Correct. Um, I think that I think that part of what made this so difficult is that the margins were so thin. Um, in a lot of instances, um, you know, you you had four. We, we, there were four choices for each team, and in a lot of instances, you had a guy who you know ranked number one, a guy who ranked number two, maybe four and five. So all these guys were very highly ranked, and this is you know this is their overall ranking uh, among all of baseball's prospects uh, at the time that they were prospects. So. You know, you you could look back and remember, like, oh yeah, that guy was one of the top two or three, four or five prospects in baseball, and not remember the exact number, and so that certainly made it difficult. Uh, looking at some of the specifics, um, overall, uh, on average, the people who took the quiz got eighteen of the teams correct, um, meaning that. Uh, the correct player was chosen um, a majority of the time for 18 of the teams. Uh, so 12 uh, on 12 teams, um, they were wrong on average. Uh, do you guys have uh, it, have any that stood out to you as being particularly difficult? Um, we took this, I took it like a week or 10 days ago. So I don't remember which ones vexed me. Um, I can say the one that I know I got wrong, the one that actually was really surprised, I got the Pirates wrong, which is terrible. Because um, in my mind, we kept ranking Tyler Glasnow so highly that I didn't realize that Pedro Alvarez ranked higher than him. And then I think the Phillies is one where uh, I don't know how many people realize that that uh, Dominic Brown was was ranked as highly yeah, you know what? That one stood out to me because that might have been literally the only one I missed in the last 10 or 12. And we ranked him high at BA back in the day, too. So, I mean, it wasn't like that was like some outlier. But that was my reaction, too. I was like, I, like, I, I think I may even spoke out loud like, man, Dom Brown, like, wow. Uh, you know, uh, type of thing. So yeah, I think he was one of the one I thought was a little sneaky, tricky. If you didn't take your time, I almost cost myself on the Dodgers. Because knowing we'd just done the current list, Gavin Lux is number two. I was just about to click Gavin Lux, and I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Corey Seager was number one. <laughs> so um, that, that, that one almost crossed me up because I, I almost went too fast on that one. Yeah, the, the Dodgers won. Um, and I th think this is kind of interesting that the quiz takers did get that one right. Um, they chose Seager 44% uh, of the time, uh, Lux only 23% of the time Clayton Kershaw uh, got 31% of the, of the votes. Um, that one I thought was interesting because in a lot of these, if you look them, at them, it looks like there's a little recency bias. Um, a lot of times uh, some of the more recent players uh, seem to have gotten higher vote totals. So I'm going to, I'm sending the two of you right now, a link to uh, Google doc, which now you can take a look at it and you can see, uh, the ones that cross people up the most. Um, so the ones, the ones that are highlighted um, with uh, gold background there, you'll see uh, the one that was trickiest for people was Miami Marlins. So the four choices were Jose Fernandez, Jeremy Hermida, Cameron Maben, and Mike Stanton. Um, Fernandez got uh, a majority of the votes uh, 52% of them. Uh, Stanton got 25%. Maben got 14.5%. And the actual right answer, Jeremy Hermida only got 8.6% of the vote. And, you know, people forget about him, but I mean, he was a guy who, you know, was a first round pick. He went 11th overall and was rumored to go much higher than that. And, and back when, when Moneyball was kind of coming into vogue, he was a high school pick. You know, young, you know, young for his leagues, who hit consistently through the minors and drew a lot of walks, and it seemed like the power was developing. 
And for whatever reason, when he got to the big leagues, I mean, this was a guy who, you know, last year in the minors, I, he might have led the minors in walks. He had 111 walks in 118 games, walked more than he struck out. And then he gets to the big leagues and he starts striking out twice as much as he walked and he was never the same player. So, um, you know, he had kind of one good year for the Marlins. But, yeah, it's, you know, I think there is, you know, there, there shouldn't necessarily be recency bias because, you know, you're ranking the same number of guys at the top every year. But I think, like, like I'm sure I missed that one too. It's hard to remember if you're a fan, like, that. The, the notion that Jeremy Hermida was considered a better prospect than Jose Fernandez or, or Gene Carlos Stanton seems impossible, but that's the, the, the nature of, of, of prospect rankings. Similarly, um, let's look at a couple of the other ones that, that proved to be trickiest. Um, the Rockies, uh, the four choices, Jeff Francis, Brendan Rogers, Ian Stewart, and Troy Tulowitzki. And I think, Jim, this is similar to what you were just talking about. Hard, hard to you know, erase from your memory what what transpired after these players were prospects and imagine that Ian Stewart was uh, more highly touted than Troy Tulowitzki. He was so good. I mean, do you remember, Jim, that it was it was Asheville, Asheville, which is like an incredible place to hit. It was, you know, first full season. He put up ridiculous numbers and uh, and that kind of set the stage for him to be this like unbelievable prospect. And he, he hit in the minors. Um, and other places, but the Rockies also have a lot of hitter-friendly places. But it was that year in Asheville that I think kind of catapulted him to the sort of upper echelon elite-level prospect status that he he never lived up to in the big leagues. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we were – yeah, and, and, I mean, at least it worked out for the Rockies, though, because they wound up trading him for D.J. LeMayhew, and he just he just never – you know, kept it going, but you're right. I mean, it, 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 those just seem crazy when you look at them, but again, you know, I mean, each list is different too. I mean, there's some years where the talent's deeper and, and guys get maybe pushed down a little bit lower. This is just peak ranking, but it's like, it's, that's what I thought made this fun is you see some names too. We're like, wow, I haven't, I haven't thought about that guy in a long time or wow, that guy is one of the top four prospects, you know, in terms of peak ranking. I mean, there, there were a lot of, you know, things like that. A couple of the other uh, tougher ones. Uh, let's see, the D-backs, uh, Trevor Bauer, Archie Bradley, Stephen Drew, and Justin Upton. Uh, nearly 50% of people voted for Justin Upton. It was actually Archie Bradley. Um, and how close was that? Because I that one, I know I missed that one too. I would have thought Justin Upton, you know, was hyped as the number one pick in the draft as a high school sophomore and lived up to it. And, and, and I, I mean, I, I don't even know where we necessarily ranked him at, at Baseball America, but, but I, I would have assumed that guy would have ranked, you know, like one or two on a top 100 list. Let's see. He was. Upton ranked number seven on, uh, on our list in 2006 and seven. And Bradley was number five in 2014. Okay, well, I, I mean, I, I guess that what threw me is, you know, again, uh, you know, it, it's a different list. It's all a matter of taste. You know, we had Justin Upton number two at Baseball America, so I guess maybe that was in my mind. But that that one surprised me a little bit that he that he wasn't higher, um, but you know, but he was. So, and going over some of these uh, that that proved to be the toughest: uh, Arizona, Colorado, uh, Miami, Milwaukee was another one. Uh, where Orlando Arcia uh, was the highest ranked Brewers prospect ever. Prince Fielder was one of the options. He got 43% of the uh, vote and Arcia only got 17%. But all of these, uh, so the the quiz was alphabetical uh, by team, by team name. So all of these are in the top half of of the alphabet. And and Jim, if you look at the breakdown um, of the, the ones that, Quiz takers got wrong uh, on average. Uh, looks like two, four, six, seven, eight, ten of them are in the uh, approximately in the top half. Um, so it, it stands to reason that a lot of people got off to a tough start and then rebounded at the end, like you said you did. And like I said, I think the last four teams on the list all had guys who ranked as the number one prospect in baseball at some time. So that mean like, like I mean. Uh, you know, Bryce Harper, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Jerickson Profar, and I think Matt Moore was number one at one point. Or, and if he wasn't, he was, 
you know, and, and so anyway, and, and I think we had all those guys, number one on, on baseball America lists for, for the, you know, Guerrero was a modern or uh, modern, uh, my Guerrero was an MLB.com guy for me. I was at MLB.com. The other guys were BA, but they were, you know, these guys were all consensus number one. So it was like a nice finish to it. It's like, well, oh yeah, all these guys were number one prospects. It was, they, they just seem so much more obvious. It's interesting how that worked out. Yeah. There were some, uh, there were some gifts, some gimmies at the end with uh, Vlad. He got 90, nearly 91% of the vote in that one. Uh, Harper, you mentioned got 86 and a half percent. Those were the two highest totals um, of any. Also Fernando Tetsis Jr. got 79%. Posey got 75% for the Giants. So those, those proved to be the, uh, the easiest of, uh, of the 30. Oddly enough, Bryce Harper was never number one on our top 100. Okay, but what was he number two? I mean, he may have graduated into being number one, but he never. Yes, he was number two. Gotcha. Um, he, you know, so he was the top prospect on the, on the for the Nationals along with with Strasburg. But uh, so he still was, you know, and then for this, I think the the obvious pick. But uh, he never was like preseason or in our midseason ranked the, the you know the the number one guy. Um, Mike Trout had something to do with that one year. We, I, I, you know, Matt Moore was the number one prospect. Um, so, for whatever that's worth, right? And <clears throat> Jonathan, um, that kind of leads us into a story that you're working on right now, um, and that is ranking all of the number one overall prospects. Um, since we've been ranking prospects in, in 2004 and uh, that jumps to mind because uh, Matt Moore uh, was one of those. And if you look at the, uh, the list chronologically um, starting in 2004, Joe Maurer was the number one overall prospect. Delman Young then had a run of three consecutive years when he was number one. Uh, followed by Jay Bruce, David Price, Jason Hayward, Mike Trout, Matt Moore, as mentioned in 2012. Uh, that was a year we started doing a midseason list as well. And uh, the midseason number one overall uh, after Moore graduated was Jerickson Profar, who was the preseason number one in 2013 as well. And then the reign of Byron Buxton began uh, midseason 2013. He was number one on our list for five consecutive years. Um, and then there was the period where it was kind of touch and go as to whether he was going to be number one. Again, he was coming up on his, uh, up on the eligibility threshold and uh, was certainly experiencing quite a bit of prospect fatigue at that point. And I remember we were all watching closely to see whether he was going to graduate. Um, and then Corey Seager, Alex Bregman, Andrew Benintendi, Yohan Moncada, Shohei Otani, uh, and then back to back, number ones for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Wander Franco. Um, Jonathan, can you talk a, a little bit about uh, what you've been seeing as you've been working on the story of ranking these players? And we're ranking them based on their prospect type, right? Yeah, so, I mean, and that's what makes it kind of a an interesting and obviously, I mean, it's a subjective uh, thing anyway because it's not like you can compare – Wander Franco to Mike Trout because uh, there's not the, well, how did they perform uh, part of it? And one of the things that I think has been really interesting that I've tried as I've sort of tweaked the, the rankings is understanding that when we started, the the sort of the, the hype machine, you know, was not what it's like now, like when Joe Maurer was, you know, he was number one in 2004. That was our first year. I think he was number one on, on baseball America's list the year before, or he had a, you know, a few year period where he was one of the top couple. Of yeah. He was back to back for us because he yeah. got hurt. He was number one and then he got hurt. And so we kept him at number one when we did the list. Right. Year. So, you know, but no one was tweeting out things about Joe Maurer. There wasn't a TV show with the, with the top prospects, we weren't doing spring training, you know, uh, prospect reports on, on MLB network, which didn't exist, you know, so the draft wasn't on TV until David Price's year. So in 07, 
Um, so like all of those things, I sort of I try to figure that in, you know, so when people see the eventual list and be like, well, how, you know, my trout, was so, you know, how, you know, I have him or Vladimir Guerrero is the most hype prospect ever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, keep in mind that the proliferation of information, the ability for us to put our own stuff out there so far eclipses what we were doing when we first started doing this here at MLB.com in 2004, that I try to outweigh that, you know, and the fact that Delman Young was number one three years in a row, you know, moves him up higher on the list, even though people may look at it and be like, I don't remember people talking about Delman Young that much. You need to introduce a hype plus metric, Jonathan, uh, or you adjust the algorithm. Yes, you work on that and, and give us the hype plus so it adjusts everybody's hype relative to the hype in his era. But, but I was going to say, I mean, when you and I have talked about this a little bit, and as you know, I mean, I'm never shy when you ask, you know, hey, what are your thoughts? You know, here's a list. What do you think? And on this one, I, I told you, I just looked at it. I was like, I, I don't know what to tell you because of what you just said. The modern guys have so much more hype that it's, it's just tough. Like it's, you know, like you said, I mean, back in the day when, you know, Joe Maurer was number one on the first list. I mean, yeah, there was, you know, that was 16 years ago and, and, Coincidentally, I, I kind of started my prospect writing career almost 16 years before that at Baseball America, and there was so much more hype in 2004 than there was when I started in the late 80s. But what was going on in 2004 is nothing like we have now. I mean, if you told me in 2004 that I'd be you know able to carry around my phone and access MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospects list with video and stats, I would have been like, what? You know, what are you talking about? What, what, what is Twitter? What is MLB Network? I mean, so it's it, – I, I I do not envy you this task because I, I tried to give you some feedback. And then I just kind of shrugged and said, I, uh, you know, you, you can't just run it back chronologically and go, okay, Wander Franco, 2020, he's number one, and then Vlad, and then Shohei Otani. But I think if you were doing total hype and not hype plus, it almost is reverse chronological in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I'll ask you a different question, and not the, I'll ask both you guys, and I'll think about it too. If you were basing this on who was the best prospect at the time, who do you think your answer would be? Well, I think that's where I understand how you're framing the question. It just you know how the guy was regarded as a prospect. I mean, obviously they were all number one, but if you had it, had it, you you could transport. 2004 Joe Maurer and 2020 Wander Franco and everybody in between, uh, and they were available in a draft, like evaluated at that point of their career when they were number one. Who would you, you know, who would be the number one pick? Do you think? Well, first, before you answer that, I, I think that is kind of what we're trying to answer here. Not strictly who was the most hyped, because, like you said, generally, generationally, that's it's difficult to compare. Uh, it's kind of apples to oranges, but. Um, I think that is kind of the, the question that we're trying to answer here is who was the best prospect? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, and, you, you know, Jason mentioned that Byron Buxton was one on, you know, a whole bunch of preseason and midseason lists in a row and, you know, the complete tools package. It would be hard not to pick him, but there were the injury things, you know, the injury concerns. Um you know, uh, trying not to think about major league performance is tough, but, you know, Mike Trout had, you know, some huge years in the minors and showed every single tool in the minors. It wasn't like he got to the big leagues and, uh, you know, well, initially he got to the big leagues and he struggled, but then, you know, the, his first full year is when the Mike Trout we had seen in the minors and then, you know, he took over in, in Los Angeles so I probably put those two at the top and maybe, you know, I'm thinking up, up the middle, um, you know, then, then Maurer, if, if I were to line them up, you know, that just solely based on that. Um, but I do think I agree with Jason that, you know, I did try to figure that in, um, you know, Vlad's 80 hit grade. Uh, and since that was the first one we'd given out, uh, definitely figures into, into play and, and how I eventually stack this up for the story. Yeah, it's also difficult to answer because of the trajectory that these guys had while they were prospects. Um, you had somebody like Trout who wasn't 
you know, wasn't a top 10 or, uh, you know, overall draft pick. And I think he was number 62 on our top 100 list the, the first time he was on it. Um, unlike someone like Shohei Otani, who, you know, came over under different circumstances, entered our sort of world under different circumstances and was immediately the number one, considered the number one prospect in baseball. And that's, it's tough to compare these guys. That's kind of an extreme example of, of the different trajectories that the guys uh, have had uh, over the course of their, their prospectum. What do you think, Jim? Yeah. I mean, it's tough because you know how some of these guys did in the big leagues. I, I mean, I, I would say Vlad was probably the best offensive force. If you were just going for, who's going to do the most damage at the plate, you'd pick Vlad. I think if you were looking at a guy who can help you in more phases of the game and you maybe didn't have the same power upside as Vlad, but you knew he was definitely going to hit, it would be Trout. Trout would probably be my answer. Although if you're going on just pure talent, I think it's hard to argue against Shohei Itani because we were sitting there arguing, like, you know, is he better as a hitter? Is he better as a pitcher? I mean, I think – Shohei Itani, as just a pitcher, would have been the number one prospect. And Shohei Itani, as an outfielder, might not have been number one, you know, just as an outfielder, but probably would have been in the top five. So I guess if I were just lining it up based on talent, I'd probably go Itani one, Trout two, and Vlad three, I think. Interestingly, on this list so we have 25 players that have been ranked number one overall since 2004 and that's counting mid-season lists as well uh only three of those are pitchers yeah and two, I, two, two and a half if you want to count yeah and, count and i just think again when we do these lists i don't think we're necessarily i mean look we all know there's a lot more risk with pitchers than there is with hitters and i don't think it's a case where we're you know and jonathan can chime in with his thoughts, but I don't think there's ever a case where we're like, okay, look, pitchers are risky, so we're going to go hitters at the top of the list, but I do think you'd have to be pretty special as a pitcher and maybe the field a little bit weaker than normal to rank number one. I mean, look, it's no secret I love Mackenzie Gore as a prospect, and maybe if Wander Franco and Gavin Lux weren't around, we'd rank him number one. But as much as I like Mackenzie Gore, I don't, I mean, he's in the discussion if you extend it, but like, I, I don't think twice. The number one prospect right now is Wander Franco. I, I just, you know, what do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I think it's right. And I think, um, you know, looking at the, whether I was surveying scouts or whatever, you know, in, in general, people are going to, probably rank a guy or think of a guy who's playing every day over a guy who's playing every fifth day. Um, you know, Steven Strasburg is a guy who probably would have ranked number one if it weren't for uh, Trout and Harper, you know, and, 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 and that sort of thing. And what they, what they were doing, he probably was one guy who's like, Oh, how come he never was the number, you know, voted number one. Um, you know, David Price was like the clear number one pick of the draft in 2007 um, you know, guy who moved quickly plus stuff left-handed. It's interesting that the, the, the two number one, uh, pitcher only, you know, cause Shohei Tani is kind of a separate category. We're both lefties from the Rays. Um, but, uh, I, I think it really is a, I won't even call it a bias, but a, a tendency to lean towards the guys who might be five tool guys who, who play every single day. And impact the game in, in some ways, in, in, in a larger way. And it's interesting. I'm, I just popped up the Baseball America list to see how many pitchers we had number one when I was there. In the first three years, we did the list. <laughs> we had pitchers at number one. We had Steve Avery, Todd Van Poppel, and Brian Taylor. And since then, Baseball America's had two pitchers number one on their list. One of whom was Josh Beckett in 2002 and one of whom was Dice K. Matsuzaka in 2007, who I believe by MLB.com standards would not have been eligible for the list. So, um, you know, from Baseball America's perspective too, I mean, that's since 1993, 
I'm just looking at their preseason list. So I guess that's 28 lists. They've had two pitchers at number one. So Jim, you mentioned that, you know, you thought it might take a, a year where the rest of the field is kind of down for a pitcher to be number one. And I think that speaks to uh, how interesting it is that Matt Moore was one of the three pitchers uh, who's been number one on one of our lists. Um, and he was on a list in front of Harper, Trout. Uh, they were two and three. Machado was number six. Uh, Profar, who was another number one overall prospect, was number seven. So it's not like, uh, you know, he was in front of a bunch of guys uh, who were slouches or didn't pan out. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think what was interesting about that year is – and I'm not going to claim to have perfect institutional memory of every top of every list, but that year, you know, I was at baseball America, you know, Jonathan was obviously at MLB.com, but I don't remember having as much discussion in all my years at baseball America about who should be number one. Cause you had three guys who were outstanding candidates to, to, to go number one. I mean, you had trout who, you know, I guess he was coming off struggling in the big leagues a little bit, but it just, you know, ripped through the minors and guys were comparing him to Mickey Mantle and the power was starting to come. You have Bryce Harper, who was probably the most hyped draft prospect ever. He'd been on the cover of Sports Illustrated in high school. He's probably the best power prospect in draft history, or at least the best since Bo Jackson. And then, you know, it, it's funny looking back, you know, Matt Moore, like what's Matt Moore doing on the list? People don't forget Matt Moore led the minors in strikeouts in back-to-back years. And then he was coming off. I won't get the statistics exactly right, but he, he pitched the wild card game against the Rangers who had won back-to-back pennants. And I think he threw what seven shutout innings and struck out 12 or 14 guys and just looked like, the Rangers had no chance to hit him. And I do remember that being an incredibly difficult discussion because in most years, you know, any of those guys would have been number one. And it's funny at baseball America, we went with Bryce Harper and I don't even remember this, but Matt Eddy, you know, who's one of the guys who runs the magazine now, who was on the staff back then reminds me that it stuck with him. I don't think I was pounding on the, the figurative table, but I was I was adamant that I believed it was Mike Trout at the time. But it, it was it was a, just a very interesting discussion. And and it, again, it looks weird to see Matt Moore at number one, given that those were his those guys were his competition. But Matt Moore, I mean, he looked like that guy you know was going to win you know Cy Youngs. I mean, and and I don't know if you remember Jonathan. You remember him in the Futures game that year too, going like that mid season that year. He can't. He was like untouchable in the futures game. His stuff was moving so much. He just looked ridiculous there. Yeah. He looked like he, yeah, he looked like he might be, you know, the Clayton Kershaw type of that, that kind of impact arm. And, and I'm glad you bring that up because there's a part of me that I look back and I remember going, uh, when, when putting together that list and I probably moved those three guys around a hundred times before finally deciding on it. And, you know, at first glance, it looks like it's, oh, well, we did that just to be different. Um, But it was, it it was, I was still doing a lot of like sort of surveying and polling and it was, you know, pretty tight. I mean, I had to go digging to see if I still have my spreadsheet from, from, from the votes from that year, but it was, it was really, really close. And I guess, Jim, for you guys, you were also considering you Darvish, who we would not have been considering. Well, I don't know. I guess my question for you is, did he get any consideration for number one overall? He was number four on that list. Did he was did he enter the conversation at all? Um, you know, our, my memory's not as good as it used to be. I'm trying to remember when Darvish signed. I, I don't think he did, but I also can't remember if Darvish signed before we did the top 100 list? No, I guess because we do our list. We, we did Baseball Record does their list after they, they do their top 100 after they do the team list. And I remember he signed, I think, right around when we were doing our American League West issue and we added him to the list. So, no, I mean, he was obviously a huge deal, but he did not enter into that discussion. Um, I mean, he, I mean, if you throw him in there, I mean, that's got to be 
you know, in terms of, of prospecty goodness at the time, really as good a top four as there's probably been in a long time. I mean, I was just looking at, at, at our combined list since I came over Jonathan, which was, was not too long after that. We've never had that much of a discussion on who number one is. I mean, you know, maybe Seeger versus Buxton, you know, when Buxton was going for his sixth straight number one, maybe a little bit there. Um, but, but we've never had that much. And, and like I said, in 2012, you know, especially if you, if you do factor in Darvish, I mean, Darvish could have been number one in a lot of these years. That's absolutely right. Um, I think I remember being relieved that I wasn't considering him because I just didn't want another, you know, guy that had to figure into the mix. So two of the number one overall prospects that we have taken a closer look at, Jim, uh, story went up just last night in which we're kind of we plucked two of the players from that list and compared them. And they're the two most recent number one overall prospects in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Wander Franco. And uh, I think these conversations were kind of tied together when, when these ideas initially came about Um, last year, uh, we gave Vladimir Guerrero Jr. uh, or was it two years ago, the first, 80 hit tool grade that we've ever given out. Um, and then following that up, Wander Franco got the second one. So I thought it'd be interesting to take a look and talk to people about which of these guys is a better hitter. And then another question, which is a little bit different or maybe considerably different is which is the better player overall. Um, Jim, can you tell us, you, you talked to, I think, 18 different people in the industry about this. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what you heard? Yeah, you know, it was, it was it's a fun question, you know, because, you know, like you said, I mean, we don't give out 80 hit grades really ever before those two guys. You know, Guerrero went from being the best prospect in baseball, and as soon as he graduated, I think Wander Franco took over for him as the number one prospect in baseball. They, they, they've, they've followed the same stages of their career, the exact same path where they debuted in the rookie level Appalachian league, which is almost unheard of for a 17 year old. And they both tore that up. And then they both jumped from low class A to high class A at age 18 and put up very similar numbers. You know, Franco's numbers are a little bit better than, than Guerrero. So it was an interesting question. Cause I mean, the, the, like with a lot of stuff we do, and I think especially with this topic, there's there's no right answer like we can look back 15 years from now and determine who was the better hitter and who was the better player but you know on this i mean i really think you could you know you you can make an easy argument for either guy for either question and you know so so who's the better hitter if you're 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 doing kind of tail the tape like i said you know, Franco's numbers are a little better, you know, for whatever that's worth. You know, Franco's a switch hitter, so he always has a platoon advantage. Guerrero's just a righty. Um, you know, Franco's got more speed, so theoretically he's going to, you know, beat out more hits. Um, but but this one actually wasn't a, as close as I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I thought it might be, you know, fairly close. Um, but it was 13 votes for Vlad. And four votes for Wander Franco, and I was really surprised, like I said, that it, that it wasn't closer. And I, I think, you know, what what carried the difference is, you know, scouts give credit. Not you know, not that Franco doesn't hit the ball hard, but Guerrero may hit the ball harder than any young player a lot of scouts have seen. Um, and I think that kind, you know, if if you look at the responses, a lot of them talked about these guys both are going to make a similar amount of contact and they do it so easily and they have good swings. And for some, I think the tiebreaker was, you know, but Vlad's going to, you know, hit the ball harder and have more power. Um, you know, but it was interesting. I mean, the, the, the four guys who voted for, for, for Wander and, and, and I quoted, you know, I think I quoted eight or nine guys for each question. Uh, you know, the, the guys who thought it was Wander thought it was very clearly Wander and, you know, even you know, a lot of guys would say, you know, this was very close. I, I think if you could weight your votes, you know, a lot of it was like slight edge to Vlad, not that he was, you know, going to dominate. You know, it, it wasn't like he was the clear winner, even though the voting made it look that way. I mean, I talked to one scout who saw Franco for six games last year and didn't see him swing or miss or strike out once. Um, 
which is ridiculous. Um, but, it, you know, it, like, I mean, were you guys surprised it was that one-sided? I, I would have thought it would have been closer. Uh, you know, I think one of the questions you said is, you, you know, when the guy gets to the big leagues and at his age has some success, it's hard to, to discount that and try to be, I don't even say objective. That figures into your evaluation. And we've yet to see Wander Franco do anything beyond a ball. Uh, so I get that. I think I was more surprised later on that uh, the when you started asking people who the best overall player was, I actually expected Wander Franco to get more votes in that regard because of his chance to play up the middle and, and the athleticism and, and things of that nature. So that that was probably the part of the story that surprised me more than the lopsided nature of who the better hitter was going to be. Yeah, I think on that, it was the way people looked at that. Because we didn't say, you know, you know, and Franco got nine votes and Vlad got eight. I mean, that one was, was, was neck and neck. You know, as to who's going to be the better long-term player. And if, if we'd phrased the question, who can beat you in more ways or who can do more things, then I think Franco probably would have won that 17 nothing Because he, he's, he's a much better runner. He's a lot more defensive value. You know, worst case scenario, I mean, he's he's at least an average shortstop. It might be a little bit better than that. At worst case, he's going to be a good second or third baseman. And with Vlad, the jury's still out. You know, is he going to get in better shape and, and be a, a decent third baseman, or does he wind up at first? So I don't think there's any question if it's who's got the broader base of tools. That's clearly Franco. But the way people looked at it, and which is good because I was I think we were trying to phrase it this way, is you know, who's eventually going to bring you more value. And, and it, and I think it's kind of a matter of personal taste. I mean, the, the 13 to four vote kind of showed that people think that the Vlad is going to have more impact at the plate when all is said and done. So it's, do you want Miguel Cabrera, you know, who's the comp, you know, that the Vlad gets all the time and, and even their, their first year numbers in the big leagues at age 20 are very similar who you know, is going to be, you know, this elite level of production, you know, and maybe the, you know, the rest of it, you know, you're not getting a whole lot beyond the bat or do you want a guy who might be, you know, Robinson Cano with a chance to play shortstop? Um, you know, it's a matter of taste. Now the people, I mean, this one, I think people will struggle with even more because it, it, it depends on how you look at it. And again, even the people who, who cited Vlad's, you know, superior offensive ceiling, a lot of them, if you read the quotes, went to great pains to say, look, you know, Franco's got a really high offensive ceiling too. And I think if you, a couple of years from now, if we, if we got to see Franco a couple more years and saw how his power developed over the next couple of years, and you felt like you had more evidence, like, you know what, Franco might be a, a 30 plus home run guy too, then I think he would run away with it. But it was, I, I mean, I thought this was a lot of fun to do because, again, I mean, there, there's no right answer. And it really, I mean, there were guys who, who, who struggled with it. I concluded the story with a, with a, with a, you know, kind of a cool, you know, very long quote from a guy who, who didn't really bring himself to make a decision on either question, but, but raved about both guys and, and even getting to what we were just talking about, you know, called it the, the height of prospect mania with the advent of enhanced social media. Um, but I, I was just, I mean, this was a fun story to do. I you know, we, we did these a couple of times at baseball American, we call them prospect showdowns and it, it's just fun to kind of, you know, reach out to the scouting community and get a bunch of feedback and, and see how it comes out. Yeah, Jim, quickly to, to answer your question about whether I'm surprised about the results. I think on the surface, the result of Vlad getting 13 votes to Wander's four, uh, I think initially I was surprised by that just because I, you know, in my head, I thought that with the expectations for Vlad as high as they were last year, I felt like a lot of people were disappointed in his season, um, even though if you look at it objectively, he had uh, an outstanding rookie season. Um, but, you know, when, it, when I look a little deeper into it in, in hindsight, you're looking at who you're talking to. Um, you're not talking to baseball fans in general. You're talking to people in the industry. You're talking to scouts, and, and they were more, uh, you know, I think sold on what Vlad is going to do and, and 
um, not put off by the fact that he didn't live up to maybe the expectations that the general baseball fan had for him last year. No, I think that's a good point. I mean, you know, if you drafted Vlad last year in your fantasy league and expected him to carry your team to the championship, he probably didn't do that. And you probably overpaid for him relative to what you hoped for, you know, based on the hype. But I, I, I don't know if I, I don't think I quoted anybody saying this because <laughs> the story got to be 2000 words and I, it could have been 3000 if I kept going with more quotes. I actually had a few guys talk about, you know, mentioned to me when we were discussing this, you know, like people act like he had a disappointing season and to do what he did and make adjustments at age 20 was actually a really good season. Um, I also think he got credit a little bit and it's not necessarily fair, but you know, you know, wander, you know, we haven't seen above high class a, we, we, we've seen Vlad go out and hit 270 with, you know, 15 or 20 home runs in the big leagues and in, in, in three quarters of a season, you know, we've seen that, that Vlad works. And then the thing too, to remember is, the season that Wander's not getting this year, at least it hasn't started yet, was a year where Vlad went out and nearly hit 400, and everybody all of a sudden, you know, got crazy. All right, guys, um, we're 45 minutes in here. Um, let's quickly take a look at one last thing. So for the past couple of weeks, we have been uh, piggybacking off of a series that our all of our uh, team reporters are doing on the best player, uh, the best player at each position for each team. Uh Started at catcher, did first base last week, and have moved on to second base this week. And so when uh, the team reporters are doing their stories on the, the team's best player of all time at that position, we've been looking at that team's uh, best prospect or most hyped prospect uh, of the past 20 years. And um, this list I thought was pretty interesting. I didn't expect to see uh, – we've been keeping track of how many Hall of Famers are on – each list, each of the uh, team lists, not the prospect list, obviously. But uh, I did not expect to see more Hall of Famers on the second base list than the catcher and uh, first base list. But there was uh, 13 Hall of Famers on this list. Uh, also, interestingly, uh, when looking at this, these two lists, comparing the prospects to the all-time best is the fact that this is the first time that there has not been uh, any crossover between the two lists. There's no player who was uh, the most hyped prospect of uh, a team over the past 20 years and also the team's all-time best. Um, and then, Jim and Jonathan, I know you guys had uh, several interesting decisions to make in choosing the best prospect uh, for some of these teams. Go ahead, Jim. I was going to ask you the question. I actually, going into this, because second base is usually the toughest prospect position to fill when we're doing top 10 position lists and a lot of big league second basemen or former shortstops or what have you, I actually anticipated more difficulty trying to find second basemen that, that were, you know, choice, you know, even have candidates for this list. And really other than having to kind of look at the giants kind of on a year by year basis to come up with Joe panic, I actually had more top 100 second basemen, than I would have thought there would have been. Did, did you find that? Yeah, I, I did. And part of it is, you know, again, uh, institutional memory wise, you know, not uh, totally remembering who I had you know, or who we had where uh, outside of recently. And yes, recently I feel like second baseman has often kind of been tough to fill out a top 10. And, you know, once upon a time, like way back when, it, second base was always like the place where guys who couldn't handle shortstop would go. Um, but there are guys. Now, I think, uh, honestly, probably the one that might be the most interesting is one that our our colleague, um, Mike Rosenbaum, dealt with with the Brewers uh, with Ricky Weeks being the choice. He was like obvious hype over... Uh, you know, current uh, establishing himself as the Brewer second baseman, uh, Casemiro. So I thought that was interesting for me among my teams. I think the one that was probably the most, you know, sort of closest was the Phillies uh, where again, with all these, you have to kind of going back to when we were talking about the, the, the number one picks is you have to not think about how they performed in the big leagues, but who was the, the best prospect. And uh, I went with Scott Kingery because he was like in the thirties for us. 
above Chase Utley, who was a top 100 guy, but kind of at the tail end. Um, and, you know, so it, 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 that one was probably the one where I was like, well, I tip my cap to Chase Utley, but Kingery was the guy who was considered more or less as a better prospect when, when they were respectively both prospects. Yeah, and that's the thing. We're not trying to, in hindsight, say this was the best player to come out of the system. And that's why I think makes these stories interesting. And again, just uh, I'm, I'm constantly trying to give you affirmation, Jonathan. Chase Utley was 80, 81st on our top 100 list of Baseball America when I was there. So even though he had a you know borderline Hall of Fame career, you know he wasn't necessarily regarded that way coming up to the minors. I mean, I, I guess the, the couple that were interesting to me the, uh, of the teams I wrote about were the Yohan Mankata was actually, you know, the, the best prospect on two lists, the, the Red Sox list and the White Sox list. And he ranked number one before he got traded for Chris Sale. He, he was number one on our list at that point. He, he, he had ascended to number one at the end of, I think it was what, the 2016 season. Came out with a new list to put Andrew Benintendi on top. But he graduated to the big leagues and, and was number one in midseason. So I think he's the only second baseman who was ever number one on prospect list. It's got to be right looking at these names. I think so, yes. That was interesting. And then, it, like, like you said, it, it, it's not what you've done in the big leagues. And he's obviously off to a fine start. But I'm sure if, if, you know, you had, if you asked Red Sox fans, who's the best second baseman prospect to come through the system, you're like, real quick, don't think about it. They'd immediately say Dustin Pedroia. And Pedroia was a top 100 guy, but he wasn't number one. And then if people would think about it maybe for a second, they might say Mookie Betts. Because, you know, Mookie Betts played more more second base in the minors, but it, but it was Mankata. So that was interesting. And then similarly, if you said Astros, best second base, you know, best second base prospect the last 20 years, everybody would immediately go Jose Altuve. But Jose Altuve, and, and here's more affirmation for you, Jonathan, was was not an MLB.com top 100 guy, and he wasn't a Baseball America top 100 guy. Um, you, know, you know, and he kind of broke out like we didn't have time to rank him in a way because I mean look I mean he wasn't highly regarded when he signed he was a little guy you know he wanted to win the minor league batting title and, and so he would have probably been on top 100 list because he had a breakout year look at the futures game but by the end of that season when we would have had time to, to put him on top 100 when we would have probably at that point he'd already graduated to the big leagues because they promoted him in July not too long after the futures game so it was actually Chris Burke and on one hand you think man Chris Burke that didn't turn out too well but then on the other hand, if you're an Astros fan, you probably do remember Chris Burke won a division series, you know, en route to the World Series they lost to the White Sox with an 18th inning home run off of Joey Devine, I believe. And I do not know the answer to this, but I have to suspect that's got to be the latest game-winning home run in MLB postseason history. I can't imagine there's a later game-winning home run than the 18th inning. Speaking of long games... This has been a long podcast. Let's let's hit a walk off and be done with it, guys. Thanks very much again. Uh, as always, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we will be back a week from now, and we will talk to you then on the next episode of the Pipeline Podcast. <laughs>